Welcome to the Texas Oil and Gas Podcast, the show dedicated to bring you the news from the oil patch deep in the heart of Texas with your host, Ryan Ray and Josh Shelton. And we're back with the Texas Oil and Gas Podcast. We appreciate you tuning in to today's episode. This is episode 229, episode 229. I'm your host, Josh Shelton, friend and co-host Ryan Ray. Ryan, good morning. Good morning. Uh, oil is coming down. That gas is down. What did you do? What did you do? It's all Stu's fault. You Stu did it. <laughs> did you? Stu. It felt like you ordered the code red. <laughs> <laughs> What's going on here? Yeah, I don't know, man. Uh, there, there's a report that came out, which uh, we'll touch on that, about a warm winter coming up that really hit natural gas pretty hard. Um I don't know, man. I, I was expecting that gas and, and oil to just keep coming up uh, through the end of the year. Yeah. So look at it right now. Uh, on February 26th, Nat gas was at four, uh, 547, basically 548, you can call it. And then today at the time of this recording, it's at 366. I mean, that is the stunning drop over the last couple of weeks. And so uh, it had a little rally last week. It got to, it, it kind of looked like it was turning courses, got to 413. But man, three sixty six WTI um, is let's see here from the same time period when it took the plunge. Kai was up on November twenty fifth at eight at seventy eight thirty nine. Of course, right now it's at sixty eight oh two. A little bit of a rally this morning. It's crazy because you're sitting here thinking, okay, the the, the market looked like it was in a good spot. Things were going good. And one thing we talked about for so long on this this past year, basically, is that you have really good numbers with seventy plus oil, and you have five plus gas. Of course, these aren't bad numbers, but you know it makes those Permian wells really, really lucrative if you can get out there and drill them. Uh, and of course, it's not like sixty eight and three is you know, the death nail, but it does make it makes you wonder going into you know twenty twenty two if this will cause some folks some hesitant hesitancy. Um, and I've got a question I put out on Twitter for Anas Alahaji, who will be on the show here in just a few moments. And the question was, we'll get his take on this. Um, where is it? Yeah. By the end of the year, what's more likely? The oil ends up over 70 or under 60? Now, I suspect he's going to say over 70, but but that's why we have the good doctor on to teach us those things. So, man, it's been good. Good. Uh, good week. Oh, I guess we should tell people this is our last podcast of the year, right? So, We'll be back January 10th. I have some travel next week, taking off a couple weeks for the holiday, a couple weeks for the holidays. So January 10th is the next time you will hear our lovely voice, which reminds me, Josh, for folks to leave a five-star review. We got one in last week from Randall W. Martin. Great informative podcast. Gents, thanks for all the great long guest podcasts. I love the dialogue on current events, market analysis, and policy issues for our industry. Take care. So thank you. Uh, I suspect, Josh, with a few weeks off, people should drop two or three hundred five star reviews to bring us back, right? <laughs> Urge us to come back after New Year's. Um, hey, we're we're going to do like the congressman. We're going to go on a, uh, we're, we're going to be holding off for a raise. Uh, yes. Five star reviews. Yes. Yeah. Or, or like a, like a band, like, you know, me and my son went to see Sticks the other day, you know, and so they play the last song, they walk off, they turn the lights off, and the crowd just roars to bring them back for the encore. So we, you know, to, to do a 2022 encore, we need a plethora of five star reviews, you know, two to 300 should do it, you know, something like yeah. that. 
So well, one of the questions that, that we've been having, Ron, is uh, at what at what price does natural gas become more profitable to invest in Bitcoin versus, you know, sell it uh, or flare it? Um, and so, I, I mean, as natural gas starts to go back down, I wonder how it's going to shape what's going on in the market, uh, just how the market works. Uh, it's in- interesting, interesting to think about. As I know, uh, so going back a couple of years ago, the natural gas was so cheap that it was more of a, mm-hmm. a pain. Bitcoin this morning is trading at 48.9, so it's down too. It's not like it's, uh, you know, it's not, it was up to... Uh, 58 or something like that. Yeah, it was up there. 65, I think it's kind of 67, somewhere where it peaked at about a month ago. Um, you know, we actually got a Bitcoin fund over at Jubilee. I don't know if I told you about this or not. So we're launching a Bitcoin fund over at Jubilee. And so it's um, it's a uh, interesting interesting deal that Tim pulled off. And so we'll see we'll see how that hurt uh, that, that pans out. But to your point about all this, you know, I'm working on a project right now, and one of the things that we're looking at is generating power with hydroelectric dams and um, we have a group that wants to put bitcoin miners on the dams um, you know for the power right and so we're going out next week to kind of sit down and have a talk with them about where those margins are at because at some point you know if bitcoin goes to a hundred thousand what well, makes a lot of sense to put the bitcoin miners to sell the electricity and all that kind of stuff but if, if it drops down to five thousand then it, it doesn't make as much sense and so those are the things it's not just the price of natural gas it's also the price of bitcoin and I, I don't know, I'm sure if our listeners know, maybe there's a um, a website that regionally tracks, you know, the price of Bitcoin versus the price of natural gas and which, when is it more profitable to do either? And of course, there's a, a multitude of miners and, and all that kind of stuff that makes it um, a little more interesting. I think Anas is in the green room back there, but I don't see his camera on. So I'm not sure if he's quite ready for us or not, but we'll give him another second. So yeah, Josh, I, it, it's funny though. When we first talked about the Bitcoin mining stuff, what, 2018, to go back and look, you know, we had some people like, why are you talking about this? And at the time we said, hey, we're not saying, you know, you should do this or not. This is this one of the solutions out there. But it, it feels like it's gotten not mainstream adoption from oil and gas, but pretty large adoption where it's not really crazy to consider putting Bitcoin miners out on your wells anymore. And that narrative's really shifted on us. Mm. Well, you know, uh, in addition to some of that Bitcoin, um, the, the questions I have about that, um, it, there's also just a, the question of um, how much drilling will be taking place in the Permian as these prices go up. So I think there's a the JP Morgan had projections that 2020 by the end of the you know, 2022 is supposed to be one hundred twenty five dollars a barrel and that we were going to see one hundred fifty dollars a barrel barrel in twenty twenty three. With oil prices there, how much drilling is going to take place in the Permian and how much excess natural gas is there going to be, depending on how those prices um, continue? Because if they get that high, the, the margins will be there for a lot of uh, a lot of these companies. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And I see Anas is in the green room working on, uh, I think, a technical difficulty with his camera. So we'll get him on here. In just a second, um, if you can hear us, we can uh, bring him on. Let's let's go ahead and bring him on here, uh, Doctor Anas Alhaji. Can you hear us, good sir? Uh, no, he cannot hear us. So um, he is working on it. Um, okay, so yeah, a lot going on there, and we'll get let Anas get figured out. 
what he's got going on. So I, I think, the, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry, I'm sorry. Um, I was gonna say there. Oh, that I mentioned that report just a moment ago. Um, so this this article was written on December fourth, so two days ago. Mm-hmm. It mentions a session that was held on Thursday last week, um, and it was a major reversal in U.S. weather forecasts. And uh, what you know, the 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 headline is that it's crushed some of the world's largest commodity traders. Uh, so that's one of the things that we've seen really hit the natural gas. Uh, so if you someone wants to take a look at more of what happened with this weather, it, it goes into a lot more of what we're going to get into today. Um, but there is an expectation of it being a bit colder this year than what now weather forecasts are saying. And um, it's really hitting the, the, the nat- natty gas. Well, yeah, so you have that. And I, I think I mentioned on the show a few weeks ago that someone tagged me in a post that like December 13th is supposed to be this huge, cold polar vortex thing that's coming. So that is just uh, seven days away. So we'll see if that comes true or not. But what I was going to say is, um, you know, the prices fell with the Omni, was it the Omni, the Omnitron, the Omnicorn, <laughs> Omnicron, Omicron, Omicron. You know, the Omicron news is what really sent the prices tumbling the day after Thanksgiving. So will news like that continue to have that kind of impact on the, um, on the industry? And that's, you know, that's something that we, we just don't know. Let's see here if Anas is ready. Anas, can you hear his brother? I don't hear him. So I guess he is still working through it on, on his end. Okay. Um, so the Omicron. So uh, you mentioned that, Ryan. So I, I know people come here to get their COVID news. Um, Obviously, this is, yeah, this is what yeah. else do they come here for? So um, I, I've been doing uh, a little bit of research on it. Um, and I don't know what your take is, but I, based on the stuff that I'm seeing is that they're saying that it's not nearly as, as deadly. It's not even as deadly as the, the Delta, uh, but it appears to be pretty transmissible, uh, which contagious. It, it, it uh, is transmitted pretty um quickly uh there was i don't i think even even fauci who i'm not a big fan of even he came out and said that it, it didn't appear it, it didn't appear to be a major concern um which he he may say something really opposite tomorrow um but just based on what i'm seeing now I, i'm not seeing uh things that should give us great concern i think it's more my concern is nations overreacting governments overreacting to it that may actually hurt the, the industry more than um yet yeah well that's that's kind of the question that i have is um we, we saw the sell-off and there was big kind of you know panicky news surrounding it and then by and large uh-oh i see him now i think he's here i think he's ready to roll give me a thumbs up if you, if you can hear us in us let's see here there you are can you hear us in us Yes, I can hear you. Do you hear me? Yeah. Yes, sir. Yeah, you. good morning. I, I I got a new camera and it did not work. That's okay. <laughs> That's okay. No worries. How's it going, sir? I'm doing very well. How are you? Good, good, good. Looking sharp this morning. Thank you. Okay, well, we've already teased this a little bit. I put a poll out on Saturday, I guess it was. And I said, I was, this is the question we wanted to hear from you. By the end of the year, obviously, WTI is what we're talking about. Is oil more likely to end up over 70 or under 60? I am not going to get into that, honestly. <laughs> and, 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 and the, re, the reason why 
because what is really the difference between like 59.99 and 60.01? No, 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 no. Over 70 or under 60. Well, 71 69, or 59. Okay. The same logic. It's like 69.99 versus 70.01. Well, I think, okay. So I think from the U.S. producers, when you get below 60, they start to. The, I don't know what panic is the right word, but a little bit of concern that the prices are going to get too soft, right? So 59 and below is soft. Over 70, uh, you feel pretty good. 60, obviously, is probably more likely where it's going to end. But that $10 spread, at least from my experience, is it feels where the narrative changes when it gets sub-60. You don't agree? I think the importance of what you are saying, let me adjust this a little bit here. Uh, the importance of what you are saying, basically, is really about hedging. Where those companies hedged, and how that delta gamma hedging whatever that is uh, how it's going to work if prices decline i think that's really what the importance of what you are trying to uh, accomplish out of this uh, poll that with hedging if prices decline below a certain limit or certain number and that difference could be one cent and that's why i emphasize the idea of 69 uh, mm -hmm. uh, 99 versus 70 that it's just a computer threshold, and that can cause all those um, uh, all those problems. Uh, so all of a sudden, in a sense, and I try to explain this to my uh, readers in Arabic, that the issue here is this: that since the share revolution, we have new financial instruments in the oil business that started affecting the global oil market that we did not use before the fact that we have all those small and medium-sized shell companies that are hedging they are influencing the whole global market no well that's 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 very true what has been your read on companies hedging for 2022 well i i think a lot of companies uh hedged above uh 65 uh and that that, that it's always a concern right now because the problem is the other side especially based on the type of hedging if we're talking about options in this case the other side is going to protect their bottom line and the only way to protect the bottom line basically is just to sell more contracts and if they sell more contracts that means prices will continue declining and with all this uh, uh, with all the algos and uh, computer programming and all this stuff that's going to lead to uh, more volatility than ever uh, regardless of where they are hedging so they can protect the bottom line but volatility in the market will increase substantially okay i want josh to hop in here right after this but when we were just discussing the price drop so natural gas um was sitting at um you know 367 right now wti at 68 it all kind of fell on black friday at least here in the u.s and it's kind of been on a, a downward trend um, how much of that is the market responded to the, the news of a new COVID variant or how much of that was, you know what, maybe the price was a little bit inflated. And so this is a good time for a sell-off. Can you hear Sanas? Uh, are you talking to me or Josh? I thought. No, 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 I'm sorry. Yeah. I want Josh. To, I was just telling, yeah, Josh, I want Josh to hop in up for the next question, but you, you, I want to do that for you. Go ahead. Sorry. No, that's fine. I'll wait for Josh. I thought the question was for Josh. So. No, 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 no. Yo, so, no, I'm sorry. I was telling Josh to hop in to ask the next question after you answer this one. All right. 
Then repeat the question again. Yeah, 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 no problem. Yeah. So the question is, we saw the price fall. We've seen the price fall since Black Friday here in the U.S. Um, and that a lot of that seemed to be driven around the news of a new COVID variant. My question is, how much of that was really driven by the fear of a COVID variant? Or how much of it was because the price was a little bit inflated already and it was a good time for a sell-off? Well, uh, let's start from the beginning. The beginning basically is uh, the prices were already high and oil was overpriced anyway before Friday. And we had several factors, and I'm talking about market forces affecting the market and pushing prices down. Some of the factors are not known to many people in the market. For example, uh, we already know for a fact that China was able to build up or rebuild its coal storage back to almost record high. Now, what coal has to do with oil? Well, all this increase in recent weeks happened because of what they called gas to oil switching. Why we have gas to oil switching? Because gas prices are very high. I'm talking about natural gas, by the way. I'm not talking about gasoline. Because natural gas prices, especially LNG, are high. Why they are high? Because we have problems in the power sector. Why we have problems in the power sector? Because of coal. There are several problems in India and China. And on top of all of that, we ended up with flood in the coal mines. So we already have problems, and then we have the flood. And as you know, if you look at the coal contracts, moisture basically is, is uh, there is a clause about moisture you cannot exceed that moisture so even when the rain is over and the flood is over still the moisture in the coal is very high so they couldn't solve this problem quickly now they are able to do that so once they were able to rebuild their coal sector then or the storage then they are able to provide electricity they don't need that much gas and that that means the gas prices has to decline and therefore I don't need to switch from gas to oil. That's number one. So I already have forces in the market. Of course, we have increase in uh, U.S. Uh, oil inventories, and we have the SPR story, etc. But we have another story because we were saying uh, you already familiar. You are already familiar with the story that if the market, the coal and natural gas markets continue to be tight, then we are going to see a lot of private generation. And private generation, especially in China, is going to lead to large increases in diesel. And we will not know the amount until after the fact. Well, all of a sudden, that private generation just disappeared. So the demand for oil, generally speaking, declined, my estimate is by, by about 800,000 barrels a day, just from the issue of coal. So that was already before Friday. Then the trigger on Friday was the, the uh, Omicron uh, story in the morning, and that made the situation uh, worse. And then we moved on, and then the head of Moderna basically said, oh, the, you know, whatever uh, vaccines we have, are, they are not as effective. And that really kind of enhanced that sentiment uh, in the market. The idea that we are going to go to 40 and $50 oil at this stage is difficult to see. At the same time, the idea that we'll go to 100 and 125, like some people are saying, is difficult to see too. 
so we are back probably around the uh, sweet spot. You are all familiar with the sweet spot. The sweet spot, by the way, I just want to explain to some people who do not, who were not able to get it. It's not a prediction. The sweet spot is not a prediction. It just is the area where everyone is comfortable in. That's what it is. If we are in it, then everyone is comfortable. Once we go higher or lower, then someone is not happy. Uh, and Dr. Anas, uh, there was an article that I was reading this morning uh, from oil price that uh, were uh, article from or a report from JP Morgan said that oil was going to reach 125 in 2022, uh, $125 a barrel, going even higher into 2023. Um, do you think the um, the news from the Omicron, the fact that oil was already overpriced, um, do you think that's do you think we're still looking at potentially $100 a barrel next year or do you think that just the the uh, the market variables really are trying to keep the the oil in a, a little bit lower spot than that generally speaking generally speaking we are heading for energy crisis no matter what we are heading for oil above 100 but not now and not next year okay now, will we get to 100? Yes, there are certain conditions to get to 100. For example, even this year, if this private generation issue materialized, we would have gotten 100 anyway, but it did not happen. So there are certain conditions to get that 100. How they are getting this $125 forecast? Well, let's face it. The, the cutoff line for China that's kind of the line, not even in the sand. This is kind of a concrete line. It's $75. They, do, they will do whatever. We already have seen China shutting down whole cities. We already have seen China cutting off electricity from cities that have millions of people. So we should not underestimate that, that when push comes to shove, they will do the same thing to prevent prices from going to 100. So the cutoff... The red line for China is 75. The red line for the Biden administration is probably between 80 and 85. That's it. They, they have to use 30 million after 30 million from the strategic petroleum reserves. They will do it. So we do have those hard lines from China and the United States. For Europe, I already posted a chart on Twitter a few days ago, and I reminded people of some issues related to blocking U.S. exports uh, and, and what is the impact if the Biden administration returned the old presidential order where you cannot export U.S. produced oil. And one of the things that uh, we should pay attention to is the two things. First, the exchange rate, especially between the dollar, the uh, uh, some Asian currencies, and the euro. In year 2000, we have seen truckers blocking highways in major European countries because fuel prices were very high. Oil prices were very high. Well, why they are not doing the same now? That's a big question mark. Well, one of them basically is the exchange rate. And the other reason is since 2000 until now, 
we've seen European income, per capita income, multiplied. In India, per capita income between year 2000 and now, and I'm talking about real terms here, I'm not talking about, this is adjusted for inflation. Real per capita income in India increased by threefold. So, yes, there is support for higher prices when you talk about income. But there are other factors to consider, too. Or high oil prices can affect economic growth under certain com conditions. And in fact, even my statement could be wrong because it's not really high oil prices that are affecting economic growth. It's the other factors that are required for that effect. So why high oil prices have not affected the economies of Europe, China, India, and the United States between 2004 and 2008? Prices continue to go up from 35 all the way to 147. Then we had the housing crisis and the financial crisis. The housing crisis and the financial crisis has nothing to do with oil. The crisis happened somewhere else and affected oil. And to prove this point, the moment that uh, crisis was over, oil went back to 120. So it wasn't about oil. But the idea here is why we did not see the same cries that we are seeing today. And the reason why, because if you look at that period, that period was very unique in history. It is the only period, remember, it, it came after September 11th, where we have massive spending on, on security. And then it came after two wars. We started two wars after that. So the spending was massive. And the spending was not only on wars and machinery. They were afraid that's going to affect the economy. So there was a lot of spending on the economy, too. So what we've seen during that period, we've seen massive increase in defense spending, massive increase on uh, spending of spending on security, massive increase in government expenditures. Uh, we've seen massive increase uh, in uh, incomes worldwide, uh, especially in India and China. And uh, we have seen a reduction in taxes, which is another factor. At the same time, interest rate and the dollar were going down. This combination of events allows oil prices to go up without affecting the economy. Well, we don't have that combination now. We have all kinds of problems. And that might lead to uh, the fact that we might, even if we get something really high, it may not last long. It will hit the economy really hard, not because of oil prices, just because of the combination of events in this case, I mean, with all this inflation, don't expect interest rate to stay low. With all this inflation, and people say, especially uh, I got this criticism all the time on Twitter for the sweet spot, which is the pinned uh, tweet right now. People, most people basically who commented did not understand really, and they did not read the whole thread. And they say, well, with inflation should go up. No, with inflation, you should look at exchange rates and you should look at interest rates that's what affects the oil market it's not inflation so they should look at what will happen to the value of the dollar in this case why because oil is priced in dollar and we should look at interest rate because interest rate has several roles whether in the economy or in the oil business so the 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 the, the feedback in a sense to the sweet spot is coming through exchange rates 
and through the uh, interest rates, not through inflation per se. So you, you, you covered a lot of ground there. Um, and let's, let's talk about the U.S. producers just for a second there, because you talk about interest rates rising, um, so their debts can be more expensive. Um, and, and so how, you know, how does that work on the U.S. production side if you have the, the sweet spot of uh, you know, 68 to 72 or 74, whatever it is, that range? Um, but then you're saying, okay, to the U.S. US shell producers, hey, we're going to raise your interest rates. Um, and so your debt's going to be more expensive. Can, can they sustain that? Or, or have they been able to succeed because of the low interest rate environment? Well, generally speaking, and let me explain the general concept of it, because we want to see when demand destruction starts. And we got here to distinguish between demand destruction and between decline in demand. The difference between them is that demand that's been destructed will not come back. That's it. It's killed. While demand decline means it can come back. So the issue with the sweet spot calculations is from the consumer point of view, and of course this is important to the producer, is where the demand destruction starts. And that's really the point. On the other side, uh, in terms of production, I want a level where I can guarantee continuous investment. So if interest rate goes up and the cost goes up, then that threshold from the consumer point of view has to go up. And therefore, the sweet spot will change. It could get tighter or it could shift as a result of that because the cost the whole cost structure might change in this case, and I need a higher, uh, a higher price. What we've been seeing in shale in the last 10 months or so, that this, even if you assume increase in uh, capital cost, the improvement in or, or the efficiencies that we gained in the last uh, few months basically were huge. Well, and most of that uh, efficiency basically came. And pe people say technology, it looks like mostly a management efficiency than technology. So that's what changes the uh, sweet spot calculations, that the cost will go up. Okay, um, two other things that we'll get you out of here. First, um, crude quality. You've talked about that for years now. Give us an update of where we're at in the crude quality discussion going into 2022. Um, you know, is it are we over? Uh, is too much U.S. oil out there? Not enough? Are we in the sweet spot, if you will? The major decline in U.S. oil production because of COVID since March 2020 literally eliminated the largest part of the future impact. Remember, the International Energy Agency, or let me say the International Environmental Agency, exactly. <laughs> has said in 2018 they used kind of a journalistic term when they said shale is going to have explosive growth to please Trump so Trump will not cut their funding. So they were expecting that shale is going to add another three, four million barrels above the old level. And that's where the crude quality issues comes in with those additions. Now with the decline, we don't have that problem. The problem right now arises if some Democrats in the Congress and the Senate got their way and convinced Biden to issue a presidential order to ban U.S. crude exports, 
the word crude here is very important. If they ban exports, then crude quality is going to hit really hard in this case. And the reason why, because we are exporting this on average, like what, 2.8 to 3 million barrels a day of export, sometimes more, because U.S. refiners do not want that oil. It's light sweet and condensate, and they don't want it. So now you lock it in. Who is going to take it? So that's where crude quality basically hits. And all of a sudden, the refining wall that we did not hit in 2015 because Obama allowed uh, exports at the end of 2015, the refining wall that we did not hit in 2015, we will hit in matter of days if Biden blocks right. exports. Right. So what my expectation, and this is kind of funny when you think about it, uh, I think some people in the Biden administration know exactly that's the case, but they need to satisfy certain mm. uh, groups and certain people. So they might end up doing this. They might end up banning exports to show their own people that they care about people and they care about uh, uh, incomes of those people and they don't want them to pay that much gasoline and they are going to teach OPEC a lesson and all that stuff. Well, two things here. The first one is the moment they do that, they are going to do something else, which is redefine what crude is. Oh, yeah. The, um, yeah. <laughs> so once they redefine crude, U.S. Can export exports will not change much. Right. Okay. We continue to export crude, in a sense, in the form of condensates. Mm -hmm. But the media is going to report that, that, oh, we stopped crude exports. And what we, are what we are exporting is condensate. Guess what? My grandmother, your grandmother, does not know what condensate is. <laughs> right. They think it's some scientific term, and it has nothing to do with gasoline. Well, that would make Big Orn happy because he always jokes that we don't actually have oil here in the U.S. So he would love nothing more than to have the U.S. export condensates, not oil. That would make his day. So two, correct. The, said, the we, other, the other point, which is another, uh, there will be some decline because we are exporting some of the. Uh, oil from the Gulf of Mexico, which is kind of uh, uh, light crude, but not uh, extra light. Uh, so there will be some reduction uh, in U.S. crude exports. And what that's going to do to the world, that's going to raise oil prices worldwide. Exactly. And if it raises, <laughs> if it raises uh, oil prices worldwide, then U.S. refiners are going to have a feast. I can tell you, the first action I will do if they decide now, if they decide to ban exports, is to sell all my stocks in everything and buy refining stocks. <laughs> they're, they're... Why? Because they are going yeah. to buy the cheap crude. The price differential is going to go to $10, $15. Wow. They are going to buy the, the cheap crude and then export the gasoline because gasoline is not banned. And just like what, what happened uh, earlier in 14 and 15, their stocks are going to triple. Literally, they are going to triple because of that. So we are going to see refine, refiners basically having a feast in this case. Now, some people suggested that they might block gasoline exports instead or with it. That will be a disaster. Why it is a disaster? Because if the objective is lower oil, uh, lower gasoline prices, what refiners are going to do? Just lower utilization and switch to other products and export 
other products. And in this case, we are going to have less gasoline and higher gasoline prices. Okay, All right, we're up against the clock here. So we have a listener question that I want to get to you. And then a uh, so this, this make a, a general yes or no. Going into 2020, do you think U.S. shale will stay even more disciplined on the CapEx budgets? So generally, yes or no, do you think they will? Say, say the year again. 2022, next year. 20, okay. Uh, um, it's going to be disciplined, but we are going to see uh, an increase in production. Okay. And then the final thing is natural gas is sitting at 367. Directionally, where are we at? Are we going up, down, staying in that area? Flat. Flat. Okay. All right. Anas Alahaji, the great Anas Alahaji, I should say. Apologies. Uh, where can people find you at? Twitter, my first uh, name, my last name, Anas Alhaji, A N A S A L H A J J I. The same thing for my website, the same, uh, uh, the same name, but uh, Twitter is the best uh, way to reach me. Okay, well, you are, this is the last show of the year, so we will pick back up next year. So, folks, you can listen to this episode two or three times to soak up all that Anas has and go follow him on Twitter because he is a just full of information there as well. So, thank you, uh, Dr. Anas, for coming on. Happy New Year, all. Yeah, exactly. Talk to you soon, brother. Thank you. All right, Joshua, that is it with the good doctor, Nasala Haji. That one, he goes deep. Yeah, man, that was really good (laughs) stuff. He goes deep. He gets in there and you're like, yeah, hadn't thought about that. Hadn't thought about that. Hadn't thought about that. Yeah, yeah. Hadn't thought about China not wanting to go below 75 or above. That's fascinating stuff. Well, yeah. And so, yeah, and that's. That's what makes you know economists like him so impressive. Is they're 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 trying to juggle not like at the talking point level. They're actually taking that and then running the numbers. It's like okay, well if they did this, this would turn off this much. If they did this, so they're actually running the numbers behind it. So it makes it makes it crazy. Okay, well I guess that it, Josh. Uh, listeners, thank you for a wonderful 2021. We we'll back bright and early on December 10th. Ben Samuel, January like- 10th. What I say? Oh, yeah, January 10th. Sorry. Sorry. Yeah. We'll be back January 10th, 2022. So we wish you all a happy new year. Merry uh, Christmas. Merry Christmas. And uh, with that, we'll talk to you next year. Until then, keep climbing. <laughs>